Hey, welcome to another episode of Conversations for the City. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at Vista Community Church. I've got a couple of fantastic guests with me today. Um, to my right, <laughs> we've got Pastor Danny Ortiz, and to my left, we've got Pastor Peter DeWitt. I know Danny a little. I don't know Peter at all, so just consider that a disclaimer of sorts. Uh, today's going to be a little bit different. Uh, usually, we, we come to the table with a couple of questions. We have some idea of where we're going. That is not the case today. Maybe that's an, maybe I feel like there's another disclaimer coming here. Yes. But this is going to be good. Um, what I know about Danny is he is certainly a pursuer of the Holy Spirit. He he has his ears and his eyes and his heart wide open. Mm-hmm. And I can only assume because you're hanging out with this guy that you're someplace in the same ballpark. You yeah. know. So I think it's just this dialogue is going to be a blessing to us, and I'm really excited about it. So with that. I don't know that I have a first question. I'm just going to say, hey, Danny, what's on your mind? Man, that's a loaded question. First of all, Chris, thank you for taking the time. Yes, yes, yes. And thank you for Vista and everyone that's here, those who are in the background doing their work, uh, Spence and Tammy for being a part of this, and my good friend uh, Peter. We just, we're just brothers. Thank you for having us. Thank you yeah, for absolutely. having a conversation. Thank you for putting on a forum where... You have leaders in, in the city talking to the city because mm. I, I believe we love this city. Yeah. And I believe God brought us here to Columbus and the surrounding areas to see revival, to see awakening mm. in this city. Mm. And that's our desire. So, you know, thank you. Before, I, you know, that's on my heart, Peter, I, I throw it over to you. Yeah, well, I know that Danny and I uh, are seeking one thing, which is the kingdom of God. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And it's so neat to be with other like-minded believers and uh, to feel the presence of God here. And uh, we just thank you for having us today. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I have a question already, unless you want to jump in. No, go go for it. What do you mean by kingdom of God? Yeah, well, the the kingdom of God is wherever the king's will is being done. So when Jesus said, thy kingdom come, he said, pray like this. He said, our father, I'll start like that, our father, who are in heaven. So the first place a believer starts is knowing our identity as a son. And it says, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And a gentleman I know named Cliff just does a great teaching on this, which is we'll never see God's kingdom come until we hallow his name. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so worship, like from Tammy, is so important in the, you know, just telling, thanking God for who he is. But then Jesus said, thy kingdom come. And then he defines what that means. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so Jesus commissioned us in Matthew 28 with this exact thing. He said, disciple the nations, teaching them to obey all the things that I've commanded you. So that's the great commission. He said that as we step out into that, what will happen is we're going to find that he's with us always, even to the end of the age. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I love that you said you can't have a kingdom unless there's a king and a domain for him to have dominion over. Come on. Right? And so mm-hmm. a lot of times people use kingdom loosely and they don't understand. It is a king. The whole Torah, for, which for us is Genesis to Revelation, is about a king mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, is, is, that is going to rule and is ruling right now. Right, So King Jesus is not coming to rule. He has already established his kingdom and mm-hmm. he's going to rule. Right, yes. And so we haven't seen it in its fullness and we will, according to Revelation 21, see it in its fullness when he's going to come and establish Right, the new heavens and new earth on this earth, right, and not many new that he's going to redo this one. New spiritually, he's coming to bring. According to Zechariah 14, he's going to split the Mount of Olives and he's going to rule and he's going to be the light of the world. 
we're going to see him. Now listen to what Ephesians' definition. I love your definition. I'm going to give you Ephesians. Paul's definition of the kingdom is Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 10. It says this. Actually, I'm going to start in uh, verse 9. Having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in this dispensation of fullness of time that he might gather together in all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. In heaven, everything is going to be subject to the king. Mm. That is a king. Mm. A king is that there's not one thing, not one person, not one atmosphere, not one heaven. Everything is made in the dispensation is going to be under that king. Now, we know Jesus, according to Matthew, 417, which is the first words that he he spoke, which all of us should have it recorded. He said, this is his first message, first thing recorded from his mouth as a message was this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Come on, Danny. Repent. Pentos, right? Metanoia does not mean to cry in the altar. It does not mean to hear slow music, the lights go down. It's where we get the word penthouse, pentos. Go to the top of your mind and change this thinking of yours. Mm -hmm. So here Jesus is talking to Jewish people. So we have to know context, right, before we can throw a lot of content in there. So contextually, he's talking to Jewish people that only know the first five books of the Bible, which which they call the Torah, and know the Tanakh, which is, you know, uh, the minor prophets. So they have a mindset of a kingdom. That is not like his because he's coming to establish the father's heart, which is to establish his son, mm. which is king. So mm. he says, change the way you think for the kingdom. Heaven is at, is at hand, which the word at hand in Greek here means colonization. Mm. I mean, mm. heaven is trying to colonize this earth to look like heaven. Come on. Come on. And he's saying, I am trying to. And, and, and the gospel is pretty simple. We just complicated. Mm-hmm. Our father made a home. And he's saying, I made a home for my children to have total, total fun with <laughs> and to have total, total delight with. And I'm going to go and I want them to go and inhabit that home. Yeah. And I'm not going to go and, and I'm going to come in and out, but it is their home. And we have this concept that, oh, God is going to come to destroy the earth. No, God loves this earth because he created it for you and I mm-hmm. to inhabit with us in unity. Now, we know sin came in, sin crept in, but that's not the issue. The issue is misidentification, like you were saying, is sonship. And so what Jesus has come to do is to reestablish that identity as a son, to say, mm-hmm. listen, once and for all, you don't have to fight to get God's attention. He's already, his eyes is on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, come yeah. on. Come on. He wants to hang out with you. Come on. If we can get, if, if anybody... Here's anything we say today. Hear this. This. this is it. If you can know how wildly in love God is for you, it'll change your life. Come on. Uh-huh. I, I want to say that again, Chris. If you know, because we hear this stuff, but we hear it through a religious lens. Mm. Right. And we filter the actuality of the love of God. We mm-hmm. filter that in. This time we go, oh, God loves me. Yes, he loves me when I'm made clean. Mm-hmm. He loves me if I do my... Hail Marys and full of <laughs> grace. He loves me, and and that's 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 we will call in in, in Christian them all. That's 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 those, those are the old religious folks. This is what he loves me if I worshipped him this morning and and I did a little worship service. Mm-hmm. He loved me if I read the scriptures this morning. He loves me. All those are good and additives, 
But God doesn't need additive Christianity. Mm-hmm. He just needs fellowship and oneness. Mm. And that's what his desire is. He is searching for your heart to let you know how much he loves you. Come on. Come on. I said too much now. No, that's so good. Well, let me ask you something uh, real quick. As an aside, the music, can you tell us about that? In case you can hear it on the camera, so, there's a little soundtrack going on here. So I have, I've always, you know, the wave, if you, if, uh, uh, this is a shameful plug. Go, <laughs> go to anywhere, Spotify. <coughs> we got a, a, just a soundtrack of just worship flow music. You know, for us, we, we flow in the prophetic. We believe in the fivefold ministry. Uh-huh. And we're going to get into that a little bit. And in the fivefold ministry, part of the prophetic is understanding that they are prophetic sounds. Therefore, mm. that heaven wants to release that brings deliverance on earth, mm-hmm. right? We see that. Songs of deliverance. Songs of deliverance, the word declares, right? The, the word declares that when Saul was being tormented by, by evil spirits, that David, he called David to play the harp. And the word said the moment he started playing, Saul's heart just began to start getting set free. Why? Because it deliverance, it came through. Mm. And so we believe even in this atmosphere that God can say, listen, God can give us prophetic words for those who are going to listen to us mm-hmm. 10 months from now, mm-hmm. right? So we have to always have the atmosphere releasing sounds from mm-hmm. heaven to get our ears tuned with heaven. Mm-hmm. So really mm-hmm. it's for us to get ourselves aligned with heaven because mm-hmm. the carnal nature is against heavenly, heavenly uh, advance me. So our flesh is going to take us all over the place. So what we do with this kind of prophetic worship is we tune our spirits, we tune our ears, we tune our hearts to say, Lord, we are open, mm-hmm. right? And and anyone knows, the, you know, we have Tammy here. She can come up here and teach better worship than anyone of us. But if anyone understands, worship and music is the only thing that comes inside of you without the permission of your brain. Mm-hmm. Oh, let me lay that out. It doesn't need, it attaches your soul and mm-hmm. doesn't need permission. Mm-hmm. Every other weapon that the enemy uses against you needs permission of your thoughts. Mm. Right. So music, you can go into a building and start singing a song that you don't agree with. I'm going to give you, for instance, this has totally happened to me. I'm in Marshalls years ago. This is like eight, ten years ago. Katie Curry has a song that literally I had totally, in my spirit, detest everything of that song. And the song goes, I kissed the girl and I liked it. Mm-hmm. That's what the song goes. I'm in Marshalls and they have that song. And I'm humming that song. <laughs> it just got inside you. And so I'm walking out going... Why am I humming a song that's totally in defense of who I am in Jesus? Because it didn't need permission. It jumped inside of me. Mm-hmm. And so if we understand the power of worship and the power of the things that we put mm-hmm. in our ears, we'll understand that once it attaches itself to the soul, you now give permission mm-hmm. for your mind and your will and your emotion to now make that a foundation inside of you. Mm. I know mm-hmm. I took that into a deeper level than he's no, wanted to, no, no, no. but good. that's the answer. <laughs> it's good. So, so real quick for you on the, uh, that, that's watching, that's listening, uh, Danny is the pastor of The Wave. Yes. Uh, formerly known as The Wave Innovation Center, is that fair to say? It's, it's, it's always been The Wave. The Wave ministry has encompassed the with wave. The Wave Innovation gotcha. Center. Yeah. And, and we'll make sure we share that information with you so you can you know, check him out, check out his team and, and his community, what they're doing. Peter, uh, for you... You're also a lead pastor, mm-hmm. uh, and you pastor a church in the Upper Arlington area. Could yeah. you tell us a little bit about yeah, uh, called, your church? It's called Agathos Church. It means the goodness of God. Um, and it's a good it, name. Exactly, yeah. And an uh, awesome church. And small church. Uh, we meet main church first and third Sundays, house church second and fourth Sundays. And what we're pursuing over the next 10 years is what it looks like to do decentralized church or a mobilized <laughs> church. Okay. 
What do you we're, mean we're by gonna, decentralized <laughs> church, Peter? <laughs> yes, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you mean by that, Peter? <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting because I took over as lead pastor almost five years ago. I was associate for about five years before that. And about a year into pastoring, my first pastor called me up, and he's been a real prophetic voice in my life many times, super accurate. Uh-huh. So Joshua called me up and said, hey, I've got a word for you. Let's go out to lunch. I said, okay. So we went out to lunch at Piata on Lane Avenue. He said, what's your vision for the church? Um, and I said, well, I wish I had one. I said, right. I feel like I was supposed to become lead pastor. Uh-huh. And um, this will be a somewhat longer story, but I think it's a real important word for the body of Christ at large. So we I'll got share time. It. Let's do it. Um, I said, I knew I was supposed to become lead pastor, but, you know, I don't have a specific vision. And I thought I'd have one. I said, you know, I can go down to the Starbucks over there and get three napkins and come back with three visions in an hour. But I've done that before in my life, and I'm not interested. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, uh, you know, if, if it's not from God, I'm not interested. And, um, or at least I try not to be. And so anyway, Joshua said, well, maybe in the next year you could get a vision from God. And I thought, yeah, I feel like I could do that. And so that December, that was about in August maybe, and that December, a friend of mine, Brian Orm from California, posted something on Facebook that caught my eye. And he said, the largest um, hotel chain in the world doesn't own a building. And the largest taxi company in the world doesn't own a car. The common theme is decentralization. When's the church going to catch up? So this Airbnb, was, Uber. Airbnb yeah, okay. and Uber. Right. So this is December 2017. And I thought, huh. Well, he had such a response to that. He said, I'm going to do a Facebook Live. And it's probably the first and only time I've ever scheduled myself to be on someone's Facebook Live, you know. And I took some notes and just really witnessed with me. I was like, this is interesting. On December 28th of 2017, the Lord spoke to me. He said, I want you to start designing in the kingdom. And because of my background in education, where I've been a designer in education, I knew what he was getting at. And the next day, he spoke something very specific to me, uh, December 29th, I think it was, 2017. And he said, I want you to start mobilization, not a movement. And I was like, don't know what the difference is, but I heard you. Okay. And so, you know, I've got this thing from Joshua from last August saying, you know, August 2017 saying, what's your vision? And I, these things are happening in December. I'm like, mobilization, movement, what's the difference? Fast forward to the summer. And I think I was out fly fishing in Pennsylvania with my family and, uh, you know, just relaxing. And in that time, I think around that time, one morning, it's like I woke up with this phrase, I want a church with no ministries, just ministers. Okay. And I thought to myself, do not tell anyone that because that is crazy. Right. That doesn't fit in any boxes. But everything inside of me exploded with the joy of the Holy Spirit when I had that thought. So I I had what I thought was the witness of the Spirit, but you know that sometimes you can be deceived. So I thought, I better make sure. Uh, So I studied the 137 uses of the word ministry in the New Testament diligently to say what what about what I just felt like I heard is wrong. I didn't find anything that refuted it. My brother-in-law was over shortly thereafter, and he said, hey, how's the church going? And I was explaining this process that I just explained to you all. And... um, And then what came out of my mouth was this. I said, I bet the founder of Uber felt crazy to say that he wanted a taxi company with no cars. Come on, Peter. Yeah. (laughs) And all of a sudden, I realized I had come full circle. And I believe that God is releasing a Melchizedek generation over the next 40 years. And there's three characteristics of it. First, they're going to be face-to-face with God and intimate with him personally. Uh Secondly, they're going to be saints that are mobilized. So here's what I learned the difference between a movement and mobilization. A movement brings people together for a common purpose. Mobilization puts people into circulation. Mm -hmm. And so so the Melchizedek generation is going to be face-to-face with God. It's going to be mobilized, which means put into circulation individually. So if you think about Uber, for instance, everybody who's got the app 
can become a taxi driver. Right. You don't need a company car. Mm -hmm. You don't need to be full-time. So you see how those start to transfer because we know that, that every believer is a minister. And yet, actually, sometimes the wineskin can inhibit the new wine. And so what's happened in the church is that we're, we're saying things like, hey, the church is not a building. But when we switched to house churches six years every other week, it was like we actually had to believe that. Mm. And it took us a year or two to get to this idea. of So like when the pastor's not here and when we're not in the building, is it still church on Sunday? You know, and so the same sort of idea, we can say we believe in the priesthood of all believers and the ministry of all believers, but sometimes we centralize ministries in a certain space, and as a result of that, believers don't see themselves as ministers, or they conceive of ministry as being what happens at the church. So now what we have is we have believers that, that, are, that have misconstrued the idea of kingdom with the ecclesia. So Jesus said, I'll take care of building the ecclesia. Your job is to seek first the kingdom. And so when we call the church the kingdom and the kingdom the church, we've, mis we've misconstrued it. So the church is a family of God on, that Peter. then is the legislative body of all society that comes out into culture in order to leaven culture. And so anyway, the, the Melchizedek generation, the three parts of it, are face to face with God because you can't, you've got to have the app on your phone to be an Uber driver. You have to hear from Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. you know? The second thing is that it's gonna be mobilized. In other words, a, a church with no ministries, just ministers, on, right? Man. And then the third thing is it's gonna be kings and priests because Melchizedek was both a king and mm -hmm. a priest. And so the priesthood is what is here and it's the secret place. And the, the kingship is how I serve culture around me. And so, you know, my definition of ministry is my connection with God, priesthood, in context. Come on. Everybody's got a context. And so a decentralized church, which is what we're going after, and when I say going after it, I'm like, we're just R&Ding this thing, and if we Come discover on. some stuff over the next 10 years that can help others, and, you know, we step into some things ourselves, that's, that's our delight. We're meant to be a prototype church. Yeah. And so, so anyway, um, the, th that's the whole idea, is that every believer has a context. And as long as every believer has a connection, which starts with knowing just how loved you are, now every believer becomes a minister in their sphere of influence. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so I get it. I get why y'all are hanging out. <laughs> Pretty similar, huh? I, just listening to you. All right, I'm borderline a little bit overwhelmed right now with uh, you're scratching every itch I have right now. <laughs> um, so thank you for that. Oh, um, we... We are very carefully going to have to carve out some time to get into pragmatics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because you're hitting so many deeply profound, high-level conceptual things. Mm -hmm. For a lot of people, it's going to send their, their eyes just spinning in their heads. That's yeah. right. And, and, and uh, I'm going to ask you in a little bit at some point, maybe right after we take a break, um, to get some anchors in the soil that people can begin to hold on to. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, and I know that you are also, you're not just theologians and teachers and conceptual people, I know that you're also practitioners, mm -hmm. which is something else that's very compelling about your, the, your ministry style, if I could put it that way. So I want you to talk about those things a little bit. Uh, a lot of what you were saying reminded me of that Sunday afternoon group that I was able to attend that one time with you. And, and the thing that really uh, captured my attention is the way in which you were discipling that group of people. Because what was interesting to me is, unlike a lot of... Um, I don't want to diminish the value of any Bible study space, but oftentimes it's, it, it just sounds, it feels like a one-way, I'm receiving information and I just keep receiving information. It's a monologue. What I felt from the people, everybody on that call with you is they were engaged in owning the space with you, even though they were receiving teaching from you. 
And I was like, whatever that is, how do you see more of that? Because when, you th- when I think about mobilized ministers, mm-hmm. I see the development of that identity in those people. And I know how much you stress identity as sons and daughters mm-hmm. of the king. Um, I just want to call out, I-, I can't tell you how much I appreciate the reality you bring to the lordship, to the kingship of Christ and his kingdom. And, and even our uh, identity as deployed ministers or ambassadors of an embassy, those types yeah. of things. You called out the ecclesia. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know where to go with this because I just want to do it I, all. I, you know what? I, I will start because I'm going to get into the ecclesia because you can't have ecclesia, and we talked about this, Come on. unless you have koinonia. So I know in your last, I, 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 uh, Pastor Norm was with you the last yeah, time. Yeah. And I love what he was to saying you, by the way. with Matthew 16. And in Matthew 16, and when you look at Matthew 16, he cannot get to build the church unless you understand the, the essence of why the church is needed, right? The essence of church is needed is, is relate. We can't move past relationship. Mm. And what we're trying to do is build what we call church, which would I, I call it uh, modern day. I, I'm going to say this. I'm going to get in trouble. But listen, don't. it's not Chris's fault. It's my fault. <laughs> Modern-day evangelicalism is glorified Catholicism. We have gotten man's ideology of what, what we think religion is, and we moved relationship totally out of the, out of the way, and we say everything in, in, in Christianity or in church is based out of duty instead of beauty. Mm. And you can't base a relationship out of someone doing something for you. That's not the way God bases relationship out of so if we look at Matthew 16 real quick, which is where Pastor Norm was at, listen to what the word says. And then we're going to get into uh, why is it important to have. Now, koinonia is fellowship. Mm-hmm. It's relationship. It's the Greek word for fellowship. Look at it, Matthew 16. And I know, and let's, let's go. So Jesus is asking, right? This is right before Jesus is about to get hung on the cross. Now, I would not wait to ask this question with the guys that I'm rolling with to that late. But Jesus does it his way. This is what he says in verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, that you can, like, we can spend a whole, and for those who don't know, you know I love Israel. You can spend a whole just study on Caesarea Philippi. It's where they sacrifice uh-huh. in idols. It is the one of the most worst areas that idolatry, of idolatry mm-hmm. in history there was something called the gates of Hades. They, yeah. It is called, it is, <laughs> that is exactly the place. Well. Yeah. yeah, It's where God, the God Pan and the God Asterisk is being glorified. They literally sacrificed babies. And so Jesus brings his disciples to this nastiest place. And on he's, purpose, kind of out of the way. Out of yes, the way, yes. on purpose. And he's asking him, in this ungodly atmosphere, do you recognize me? Mm. What? First of all, why are you bringing us here, number one? And number two, that's a personal question. Listen to what he says. He asks his disciples saying, who do men say that I, I the son of man am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah. He's like, you ain't getting the question. He said, but who do you say that I am? Mm-hmm. That is a personal, mm. personal question to somebody I've been rolling for three years. How do I describe this man that I've never seen before, mm-hmm. that talks about the father, that spends most of his time away from us praying, and we don't even know what the heck he's praying about because he doesn't need a house. He tells us in Luke 9, the son of man doesn't have no way to lay his head, right? So he, we know we're walking everywhere, right? We ain't asking for a brand new camel, right? So he's, what is this? I can't describe him. I don't know what he is. Look at Peter's response. Simon Peter answered, said, 
You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, this is important. The word Christ, we know, is anointed one. Mm-hmm. Look what he sees. You're anointed to be son. That's it. That's your identity. Your identity is sonship. Your identity is you are truly the son of God. Then what was Jesus' response to him? Blessed Simon Barjona, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say upon this rock, this revelation of sonship, I build the ecclesia. I cannot build the ecclesia unless the, you understand your identity of a son. If you do, you build organizations and religion. Mm. If you don't build off relationship first, and then he says this, you're not going to build. I'm going to build. Mm. Well, it, it says in my Bible, he's building his church. Is that the same thing? Or Ecclesia. Ecclesia. Yes. Yeah. Is there the a church. distinction between that word and our common use of the word church? Oh, of course. I mean, the, what we what we think of church in, in, in American Christianity, because we're talking here in America, is we get together, sing a couple of songs, and someone gives us a monologue, and I hear from a performance point of view. Right? And so there's no real dialogue of communing with fellowship with one mm-hmm. another, right? With, with Kononia with one another, which which we're gonna go to Acts because in Acts we see this display. Go ahead, Peter. Go ahead, Peter. Yeah, and and to uh, to your point, Danny, the ecclesia, Jesus didn't choose the word synagogue. Upon this rock I'll right. build my synagogue. Or temple or something yeah, like that. Yeah, exactly. And he knew that because we were gonna be the temple. Um, but what he what what he said is he chose the word ecclesia. So what was the ecclesia, and why is it only used twice in the entire Bible? And the reason was he didn't need to describe it. It would have been what it was was the Greek and Roman governing body of society. I think consisting of all men eighteen exactly. years old and older. And what they did is they ruled on all matters of society: peace, war, treaties, tariffs, moral issues, etc. So when Jesus puts, like you said, went out of the way, puts his disciples in front of the gate of Hades and says, here's where hell is infiltrating this region. And I want you to see just the worst spot. And I want to tell you something. Your guys' ecclesia, the ecclesia that I'm going to build, that's a relational community of believers that legislate God's will on earth, is actually never going to be overcome by the gates of hell. You guys are going to operate with authority. So the ecclesia is inherently the church, what we call the church, is inherently meant to have a legislative action in the community. In other words, leavening the community, not just working through laws, but leavening the community with the gospel. And listen to what he says, because I want to get this right. He says the gates of Hades, not the gates of hell. It's very important. This is not a place, it's a thought pattern. Mm. That's what he's saying. He's saying Mm. what they are operating on here is from the thought pattern of a lie of identity. They believe a lie for who the Father says they are, and as a result, they are sacrificed. They're doing all this Right? Because they don't know who they are. A lost mm. identity, a mindset of exactly. death. Exactly. A darkness. mindset of death. That's what he's saying. Mm. He said, when you get to that governmental table and rule, you're going to pull from heaven kingdom mindsets in there that are going to be transformative to their mind. They're going to be like, where are you getting this mm-hmm. concept of? I'm getting it directly from the Father. And he says, and then he says, and this is where we love. We love this. We love, we love verse 19. Like, like when we go to Matthew 16. This is more quoted verse 19 than anything else. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth you will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose on heaven. Now, it isn't a violation to even think about binding and loosing unless you understand your identity. Mm-hmm. Unless you understand the function of the ecclesia. Yes. So we, we say all these things and we don't see it working and we're like, well, the Bible don't work because I'm binding and loosing. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Your, your, might, your foundation might be off. 
Come on. Right? Psalms 11.3 is it's, it's one that him and I, as we write in this book, is, is right in the front. The, before you even read the book, it tells you a lot of these concepts are going to come from Psalms 11.3. Where Psalms 11.3 says this, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now, this is David talking about the throne room of mm. God, meaning you have to make the throne room mm. of God the first thing first. This is what David's saying. He's saying, but if that foundation is destroyed, what can the righteous do? Look at what he says. I'm still calling you righteous. You're still making it to heaven, but would you bring heaven on earth? So our job and aim is not, I, I don't want to get in trouble too much. Our eschatology has had us this mind that we're going to be rescued out of here instead of bringing a member. It's, heaven is trying to colonize this earth to look like heaven. Mm-hmm. Jesus said in this prayer that you, that you mentioned earlier, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Mm-hmm. Someone has to translate what heaven looks like to the earth. Mm-hmm. The earth is waiting for mature sons to say, this is my father's answer to that question. And if I can jump in there, you asked a a really good question, Chris, which is, you know, how do you make this practical? And Danny's actually giving the very first most essential practical step, which you had highlighted before. But I just want for everyone really want to highlight this. It's sonship is the first step. You can't mobilize saints that don't have an active connection with God. You know, before I saw Danny's shirt over there, he's got like this army green on, but it's undone. And I felt like I heard the Lord say, people can't step into being a soldier of God until they allow God to see their heart. Mm-hmm. And it's out of intimacy. So for instance, in Hebrews 8, 11, it talks about Ooh. the new covenant or Come verse on, 10. And it says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And it says, none of them in the new covenant shall teach his neighbor and none his brother saying, know the Lord. And the Greek there, I think, is kognosko or whatever, uh, meaning know intellectually, um, to know the Lord. For all, all, yeah, gnosis. For all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest. The second word know there is a different Greek word. It means to see with your own eyes. And so what what he's saying is the essence of the new covenant is that no one's going to teach his neighbor saying, know this about God, know this about God. In other words, secondhand Christianity. Uh-huh. But instead, each of them will see me with their own eyes, from the least of them to the greatest of them. So it's going to be de- decentralized, and you're going to see with their own eyes, and it's going to be face to face with God. And so, you know, I kind of call that primary source ministry. Yeah, yeah. A lot of times, we're trying to do secondary source ministry. If you remember, you're like seventh grade. English teacher who's like, no, you need primary sources for this instead of secondary sources. You know, you go right back to the source. And when we have primary source with God, when we have that direct connection with God, when we're seeing him face to face, when we're knowing him personally, when we're letting him know us too. Yeah. Now what happens is inherently everywhere I go, I bring him with me. And so that what Danny's highlighting really is the first practical step to this sort of mobilized, decentralized ministry model. And Peter, I want to take it a little further because I want for those, because people will hear this and go, well, I, I have a relationship with the Lord. All right, I've, I've been to church. I said my prayers. And we have to stop filtering everything through a religious point of view. And what I mean, but from a man, we do we really believe that we know him? Are we having an intimate relationship? Is he everything? I don't do anything apart from the Father, mm. Jesus said. Mm. There was such an intimate Come level on. that Jesus had with the Father that look at what he says, that is available to you. It's not so that you can just see me. I am the firstborn of many brethren, meaning mm-hmm. I'm the first one of many like me. Mm. You're exactly made in the same image that I am. And Jesus' last prayer, when he prays for us, he says this in John 17, the glory that you're giving me, I give to them. 
that they may be one as you and I are one and that the same love that you love me, you love them with. Mm. I, do, I, I listen to that. That the same love Come on. that is given to Jesus is given to Chris, is given to Peter, is given to Danny. That's the same love he loves me. That's another level than just saying, I come and do my worship songs. I am infatuatedly in love with the maker, my father, because he loves me for me. Now, what I, I we got to understand, he loves you for you right now, just the way you are. Not when you get cleaned up. Not when you get cleaned up. And, I, and I'm going to take this to this, and I'm going to take this to you, because I know we got to take a break here, because we're going fast. But I want to go to Matthew 3. <laughs> Listen to what Matthew 3 is. It's beloved identity. I'm telling you, if you can, if you can home in on beloved identity, mm-hmm. the word beloved in the Greek, it's a great Word is akapetos is the word. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar, but that's what the word means. It means you are worthy of love. Come on. So listen to what the Lord says. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, it says, When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately. We know it's the baptism of John. John is baptized in Jesus. And verse 17 says, And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved son whom I well please. Mm. This is what he's saying. This is my worthy of my love, son. Mm. And I'm pleased that he's my son. Now, the question becomes, if you're a study of anything, right, if you're education, you want to ask questions. What is he pleased about? What is the father so pleased on the son right here at this moment? Because he's 30 years old. He hasn't done one miracle. He hasn't turned the water into wine. Eyes have not been opened. You know what he's been doing? He's been hammering a hammer. He's been saying, yes, mom. Yes, dad. You know, he's been, he's been, let's go roll on the dirt, guys. He's been just a, what we would think a normal dude. And what he's, what the father is saying, his identity to me is not because he can do something for me. His identity for me is just because he is. Mm-hmm. If we can understand just because I am, I am beloved, that changes the whole game. Because mm-hmm. what religion does to you, it puts you on a treadmill trying to go somewhere and you never go nowhere. Mm-hmm. What a relationship with the Abba says, hey, let's go on a journey, let's go take a walk. Mm. And that walk is going to go to some highs, it's going to go to some lows, it's going to go through some valleys, it's going to go through mountains. But once you understand, the key of that, of that whole relationship is that you're with me, mm. not with mm-hmm. no one else. And so Jesus now, after that, in, in chapter, four, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, the Holy Spirit takes him to the wilderness to be tempted about what? Let me see if you, if you believe what he says about you. Mm. My question to those who are listening, do you believe that mm. you are the beloved son and daughter of the God? I don't, I don't, I don't want to ask you what church you go to. I don't want to ask you how many scriptures you read today. I don't want to ask you, do you believe that he loves you because he made you in his image? Come on. That's it. That's the only reason. Let's hold that thought about what we believe. We do have to take a break. I want to come back to the lies that we believe in place of the truth, the things that we've learned in 2020 that I think so much of this speaks to. And and we do have to get to the pragmatics of how you disciple. Because uh, I would go so far as to say that the discipleship that, um, let's say you're offering isn't just for the mobilized ministers within your particular community. I would argue that there are leaders and ministers uh, and, and pastors that need to be rediscipled. And mm-hmm. I don't say that as if I know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Really what I'm saying is I recognize that in myself. Mm. So when we come back from the break, let's, let's talk about those things. That's beautiful. Perfect. Perfect. 
All right, welcome back. Um, we've got some ground to cover here. <laughs> and and uh, uh, a couple of things I had said during the break is uh, just to help frame up the dialogue a little bit this, this next go around was, um, as you've heard in some of the other episodes, there's a common theme of what are the lessons that we, we, we learned in 2020, or maybe you didn't learn them, but, but an opportunity to learn something was exposed. And what seems to be emerging the most is identifying lies that we believe, truths that we don't know or have yet to discover. Uh, and maybe more importantly for us, for those of us that wave the banner of Christ over our lives, we have to understand the idols that we have put in the way and to name those, call them out, tear them down. Um, so I, I, I'm asking them to, to get into that a little bit. And then, of course, uh, previously in, in, the, in the previous session when we talked about the pragmatics, because I know I can feel it. Some of you are asking, well, what do I do? You feel compelled. You feel provoked. You are, you are feeling stirred up, and now you want a place to point that. So I'm going to ask them to begin to speak to that, but I just want to set your expectations right now. There's no way, there's no way they're going to be able to unpack the fullness of that question of what do I do, uh, but they can start to point you in the right direction. And I have a feeling this is not the last time we're going to have a conversation in and around this space. So if you're feeling the anxiety, I'm sorry, but not sorry. It's a good anxiety, so embrace it <laughs> as tension. best. Mm-hmm. It's a good tension. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a godly tension, so embrace that. Uh, but mm-hmm. with that, uh, let's, let's, let's do the 2020 question. Yeah. 2020, I'll, tell I'll, me about I'll it. I'll jump in. It's interesting you talk about anxiety. I was driving down 315 one day a couple years ago, and the Lord said, you know, anxiety requires an idol. Come on, Peter. And um, so now I'll get into the idol that the Lord exposed for me in 2020, uh, about a month before we went on lockdown, so it would have been mid-February, I was laying on my couch in my family room, and I went into a vision. Um, and for years, I've prophesied off of things that I see, and a few years ago, I met a prophet out in California who came up to me, and he said, you see a lot, don't you? I said, yep. And he said, you're going to start to see in the heavens. And I said, that's interesting you say that, because yesterday during worship, I went into the heavens and saw some things. And so I knew he was prophesying accurately. So since then, I've had heavenly encounters at times. And this was one of those in February of 2020. And I was in, I could tell I was in heaven. And I was looking, but all the streets were empty. No one was there. I'm like, this is either not an accurate vision or very depressing that there's not many people in heaven. But I felt like I was supposed to walk down to this big building at the end of the street. And I get to this big building in the end of the street in this vision. And the whole family of God is inside this building. And it's like Friday night hangout time and um, fireplaces, all the children of God around about. You could just tell the presence of the Father was there. Just the love was incredible. And instantly, I'm like, oh, where's the Father? I'm gonna ask him a question. I'm gonna get a revelation about this thing I've got a question about. And the saint who's sitting at the edge of this couch turns to me and says, that's not what this is about. I was like, hmm? And I was, so as I kind of conform myself to like, well, okay, so maybe I'm not gonna ask for revelation right now. Then I was able to have an audience with the Father And what I heard this phrase is, there is a repose to family. And what the Lord had started that day is he was starting to address ambition that had been in my life. And he was starting to bring me me into a place of contentment. Because my, my backdrop was that I had experienced or felt rejected often as a kid. And so I had learned lots of things that I could do to gain acceptance. In other words, I could learn to perform for love. And God had broken much of that off me in my walk with God, but here he had his finger on the real root of it. And he spent all year unraveling that for me and bringing me into a place of godliness plus contentment is great gain. Godliness is not a means of gain. Mm -hmm. And so that was Mm -hmm. the idol that he identified in my life in 2020 
And I believe, you know, it's not like we always live like that, but sometimes God puts his finger on something in our hearts and says, your motivation here, let me just address that. And as he removed that, he brought me into a place of repose and into a place of contentment. And that's, that's what he was preparing me for in that season. And I think that that's, that's a, perhaps a common theme in the body of Christ from this last season. Well, that's powerful, Peter. I think for 2020, there was so many levels. I don't know if anybody felt like an onion being peeled. Mm-hmm. And, a little bit. You know, God was peeling layers upon layers. And I say on all of us, because I think all of us represent the church, you know, and what he was dealing with was, you said something powerful, which deals with motives, right? Mm-hmm. Those unbridled yes. ambitions, right? Yes. Um, which, which deals with the motives of the heart of men. Exactly. Right? Dealing with whatever you fear controls you, mm. right? And can we really trust Abba, right, in our walk with him? Because all of this took every single human being in the planet by surprise. I, I, there was not one word that was ready for that. Like, mm-hmm. There was already prophetic words where no one had a prophetic word. This was going to hit us in 2020. And I, I believe what the Lord was doing for all of us to say, no, I, I, I'm not going to prepare you for it. I'm going to throw you in it because there's so much I want to do with you that I can do it in this, in this atmosphere, mm-hmm. right? We think chaos to God is, you know, and anyone that has kids on a Sunday morning could be chaotic. Everyone trying to get ready. We think <laughs> chaos is not control for God. We think, oh, God is not in control because it's chaotic. And I think it's in that time that he knows exactly where everything is that he needs to be done. And I believe God needed to turn our tables upside down so that we can really mm-hmm. see clear a picture of the church. I believe all he did was show a mirror to who we are mm-hmm. and expose the idolatry that we have within ourselves, right? To be somebody, to be noticed, mm-hmm. to, to, to advance what we call the church movement, to advance mm-hmm. these things in our hearts. And guys like, I don't care about none of that other than this. Do you know me? Mm-hmm. And God was bringing us down to the singleness of source that yes. we talk about. Yes. Can you trust in him and have, we started out the year with, with Jesus being the author and the finisher of our faith. That's what we started out last year. That's the word God was just here, looking to Jesus. Can mm-hmm. you keep your eye on Jesus? Then he says, all right, you can declare that. Now, again, just like I talked about in Matthew 16, can you declare it in chaos? Mm. Can you see Peter, James, Bartholomew, who I am in the midst of chaos, in the midst of idolatry, in the midst of all this? Can you still find me in it? Because I am in everything, right? The, the knowledge of the good and evil, mm-hmm. right? Just because it's good doesn't mean that it that it's good, mm-hmm. right? He said Good and evil are both bad aside, upside from me. Come on. And a lot of things that we've been doing is a lot of good, but aside, uh, uh, apart, from, God. apart from who he is. Yeah. And all he's doing is bringing us back to him. So a lot of idolatries that we saw in this country, because what, one thing we, got, we have to understand, what we saw in this country, we didn't see in other countries because they have other idolatries. One of the idolatries that he told us is nationalism against who Christianity is, right? Mm-hmm. I know I'm getting into some, so, some things here, mm-hmm. but... He was revealing that we trust more in a system. We trust mm-hmm. more in a man's kingdom than his. And what he was exposing in us is like, you really don't trust me the way you say you do. Mm-hmm. You sing about it. You read about it. But now I want you to experience trust. What it really absolutely mm-hmm. means to trust God and not knowing what tomorrow is going to have for us. Right? Because the fear that came in, there was actual fear that came in when it came to COVID-19. We'd never seen it. We never know who was dying, right? And so 
You had all these folks and asking, but God, I didn't see it. Why you didn't show this? Because I want you to, no matter what happens around you, can you still trust me? Mm. Now we had the kingdom understanding, right? Church is saying, oh, well, you know, what can we, we can't meet. You know what I mean? We can't meet. We can't. And God was trying to say, but you know, you have brothers in, in Asia that can't meet. Mm-hmm. So I, what I think one of the things that God was doing, he was, he was exposing our idolatry, exposing that our trust level, and then showing us that we attach more with the world than what we think about, that mm-hmm. we're not isolated in America mm-hmm. from the global world. Mm-hmm. And what he started seeing is, can you see a picture of the way I see the world? Because we can say, oh, this is a, this is a, a China thing, or this is, this, we can say this is a Europe thing, or we can say this is a Central America thing. We had to say this is a global pandemic. In a global pandemic, you have to understand how then God was translating some things in your mind. Like, do you understand just because you don't have hand sanitizer? Do you know you have brethren in Central America that don't have hand sanitizer at all? Mm-hmm. So there was, there was empathy. There was love. There was things that God was setting us that I think we would have missed out mm-hmm. if we would have not gone through this time. Mm-hmm. On, converse to that, why were there so many stories and examples of disunity amongst the people of the church? Yeah. Um, Philippians 2, verse 14, uh, 12 to 14. So Danny and I are working on a short book right now. We'd really probably call it oh, more yeah, a, talk about a, that, a letter okay. to the church. Um, and the book's called The Surrendered Will, An Invitation yes. Back to the Garden. And, you know, Jesus had to say, not my will, but yours be done. The question is, as believers, maybe we have to say that too. And so Philippians 2, 12 to 14. And I... We, had, um, we have a young son. Uh, we have four boys, uh, 10, 8, 6. And then William was born the first day of the shutdown um, last year. And so, uh, interestingly, we named him William in part because the Lord had, had spoken to me saying, I'm working in the wills of my people. Come on. And what was interesting to me about that and kind of caught my ears, I said, I know our soul is our mind, will, and emotions. And I've heard great sermons on our emotions saying, you know, don't be led by your emotions. You know, they're good followers, not good leaders, of course. And uh-huh. Great sermons on Romans 12 too. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But I've rarely, if ever, heard anything about our will, but it's one of the parts of our soul, right? So as believers, uh, Hebrews 10, 14, we know we've been perfected forever in our spirit, but we're being sanctified in our soul so that who we are in Christ can be expressed to the world. So anyway, Philippians 2, 12 to 14 says this, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And what the Lord was showing me is he said, I'm the one that works in the will. And there needs to, there needs to be that understanding in the body of Christ when he, when he starts to work with us on our will, because sometimes we can think, what, it, I just need to renew my mind about this. That's why there's a problem here. And sometimes we can't get to a renewed mind because our will has not been surrendered. And so the next verse, to answer your question, Chris, verse 14 says this in that context of the surrendered will, saying, do all things without complaining and disputing. Mm-hmm. Complaining and disputing within the body of Christ is evidence of unsurrendered wills. Come on, man. And so the reason we have disunity in that sort of way that you're talking about in the body of Christ and complaining and disputing, it's simply just evidence of unsurrendered will. Dead people don't get offended. Yeah. Right. Right. And so, you know, Danny has this great teaching where he's saying one, you know, when, when we get married, Matthew 19, it, one, becoming one flesh requires two deaths. Yeah. And so Jesus has died. And now the bride of Christ has the opportunity to lose our life for his sake. 
right? But when we haven't done that, now you know we get this complaining and disputing. Um, could you talk more about the nature of a surrendered will? Because as you were talking, what came to mind is we're a highly intellectualized society. Yeah. We read a lot of books about developing our mindset. Yeah. But yeah. what we lose sight of is there are these occasions where you may be thinking about this, mm -hmm. but you override your thinking with the will. You, no. But we don't call that out for what you it is. It. You're, you're nailing it because one of the things that the Lord showed us in working <laughs> on this is that you can't teach the surrendered will. It's yeah. a powerful thing that it can grab you and work it, totally contrary to what you're thinking. Exactly. And so, yeah. so think about so the nature of the surrendered will. You know, Jesus says, you're, you're my friends, John 15, if you do what I command you. I actually have a, a few of these notes. Luke 6 says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? You know, lose your life for my sake. You know, we talk about how Jesus died before the cross. He sweat blood in the yeah. garden. Yeah, yeah. He, he chose death there. Mm -hmm. He walked it out the next day. Exactly right. You know, and you always wonder, how do martyrs, you know, how do martyrs die? You know, right. and it's actually, they already died. They didn't think their way there. They didn't yeah. think their way there. They had already chosen to die if necessary. And as a result, when that moment came, there wasn't a conflict. And, and were they afraid in that moment, do you think? I don't know. I don't think so because I think their trust would have been in the Lord. Their hope would have been in the Lord. Yeah. And so I believe that God's reestablishing the fear of the Lord, but it's going to look like the surrendered will. Yeah. And so one of the things we grappled with in writing this book is what is the surrendered will actually? Yeah. And there's a verse in Colossians 2.8 that's so powerful uh, where Paul says, don't let anyone cheat you. And he says, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. And according to there is kata in the Greek, which means stemming forth from, flowing from, emanating from. It's talking about source. And so like a spring you know, coming out of a mountain, it's talking about source. And Paul's saying, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit that comes from the so source of the tradition of men that stems forth from the basic principles of the world and isn't emanating from your connection with Christ, right? Mm. And that goes all the way back to the tree of the knowledge of Come good on. and evil and the tree of life. The issue there was source because like Danny said, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil wasn't just bad because it was the knowledge of evil. Come on. I mean, we know that, like see no evil, hear no evil, yeah. speak no We're like, duh, it was bad. It was tree of the knowledge of evil. It was also bad because it was a tree of the knowledge of good mm -hmm. yeah. apart from God. Apart from God. And so, so what that, the whole thing of the, the two trees was a question of source. And so when they chose the tree of the, because didn't they, God said you could eat of any tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? And the Bible says in Genesis 2, there are three types of trees, the trees that were the pleasant to sight and good for food, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the tree of life. And didn't Eve even recognize that the fruit itself was, there was a goodness about it? Like yes. It was edible. It looked yeah, good. Yeah, it looked good. Yeah. Yeah. But he said there's only one tree out of those three types of trees they couldn't eat from. They could have eaten from the tree of life. Mm -hmm. That's Jesus. I'm the vine, you're the branches, right. I'm the way, the truth, the life. Jesus was in the garden. So when they, they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they chose a different source than God. Yeah. Because they could have had the source of God, but instead they chose a different source from God. So the nature of the surrendered will is going back to only having one source. Yeah. Because that, that stridentness in us that, you know, is trying to, so for instance, for me, like I candidly shared, if I'm trying to gain the approval of man, and if my value to whatever extent it comes from the approval of man, now the approval of man has become my source. 
And so I'll have complaining if something isn't looking like it's going to lead to the approval of man. That's where it becomes an idol. And God's saying, I know the hurt that caused that for whoever it is and whatever their situation is, but I want to bring you back to the place of only having one source. And that requires a surrender. And I want to hit on that, this part. First Peter tells us that you have everything pertaining to life and godliness. Come on. So there's nothing that's missing. So then how do we walk out? You got to go back then, because you asked a, a, a great question. How, what does this surrender will look like practically? Well, if you go back to the garden, to what we were talking about, he said, if you eat of this tree, you should surely die. Mm-hmm. What, what died that day? Mm-hmm. That's the question. What died that day? They were disconnected spirit. Their spirit man got disconnected. Yep, yep. They didn't die a natural death, right? Yep. Because we see in chapter three, the next right. chapter, that they are now speaking. Yes. So is God a liar then? Mm-hmm. Why, why did he say if we eat of this tree, we're going to die? Well, what, what died was it was the disconnected of the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit and mm-hmm. who we are. So I would say you cannot live a surrendered life outside of the Holy Spirit. That's exactly which it. John tells us this in John 16. The Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you to all truth, meaning mm-hmm. if the Holy Spirit is in operation inside of mm-hmm. you and you're listening and have the person of the Holy Spirit listen to you, then you will have knowledge of understanding what exactly does he need you to surrender to. Come on. What exactly does he, does he trying to get you to die to, right? Now, we know that he told the disciples that he breathed the Holy Spirit on the disciples, right? But there was a secondary baptism for a life of a martyrdom, right? Mm-hmm. You, you asked a question. How could someone in another country say, uh, I see these bullets. I don't care. I've already died to that. Only through the Holy Spirit, the word says. Yes. Look, look at Acts 1 8. Acts 1 8. But you shall receive power dunamis when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, come on, and Danny. you shall be a witness. That word is martos in Greek, which is where Woo. we get the word martyrdom. This is what he says. And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you mm-hmm. so that you can live a modern, a modern dim life, meaning a life that is dying to itself. Now, this is the death that's talking about here as a witness. It's the two deaths. It's dying daily and willing to die for Jesus at any moment. But the Holy Spirit then helps us to die daily mm-hmm. and then helps us in that moment in time of need when that gun is in front of us and say, would you give your life? I have no issue because it's not me anyway. It's the Spirit of God in me. Mm-hmm. I'm allowing to flow out of it because I'm a dead man working. Like mm-hmm. you said, you can't kill a dead man twice. Yes, come on. Right? And so in the power of the Holy Spirit, he empowers me then to go every single day. Oh, I got to die daily. Oh, yes. How do I die daily? Because I'm in commune, walking with the Holy Spirit. Oneness. And in oneness, he's showing me, hey, Danny, you should have not talked like that to your wife. Mm-hmm. It, see, we think dying to self has to do with like these big sins. Because yeah. we, we, we look at it as modification behavior. Or not buying a car. Or not buying a, come on. Right, right? So, and it's like, oh. If God gave you the car, it's fine. Come on. If you did it outside of the will of God. So it could be as easy as, oh, you forgot to put that sharp shopping cart back in the right place. Mm-hmm. Holy Spirit, no one's going to notice. No, no, no. I'm working inside of you mm-hmm. to do the will of the Father. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I, it's just, it's the small, small foxes, right? Mm-hmm. Right? And so a lot of times we think it's these big things. The guy's like, no, I'm trying to check you, but you're not walking in communion with mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit. So the question that you answer is the Holy Spirit. You need communion with the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. and give access to him to yourself mm-hmm. to say, whatever you tell me, whenever you tell me, I say yes to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because one of the things we've seen with the surrendered will, you know, the sonship teaching is so important like we were talking about before, and that lets us know what God thinks of us, who he is towards us, et cetera. 
the surrendered will lets him see us. You know, and so, so Danny says this, and I love this. He says, garden living comes from the surrendered will, and garden living is for those who allow God to cover their nakedness. Mm. What you just said about allowing God to see us, it isn't, it isn't a process of God discovering something new about us, because he yeah. knows us. Yes. It's about ourselves being exposed to ourselves. Exactly. Yes. And that's and only through the Holy Spirit. Yes, and that's why, that's why God says, Adam, where are you? To your point, Chris. It wasn't that God didn't know where Adam was. He wanted Adam to know where he still was with him. Yeah. And in that moment, sometimes when we see ourselves, to your point, when we see idolatry in our life, when we see something that's wrong in our heart, we're the ones that are hiding. But God's saying, I'm calling out to you, Adam. I'm saying, Adam, where are you? So that you know, I'm still searching for you. I still want to see you. And I don't need you to put leaves in front of yourself. If you would allow yourself to be seen, mm-hmm. what it, you'll, you will feel like Christ. That is definitely the case. Galatians 2.20, you will feel like you're being crucified with Christ. You'll feel like you're completely naked and vulnerable. You'll feel like you're actually being absorbed into his person to be crucified with him. But what you'll find is the love of God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. I, uh, so one, I learned two big things in 2020 amongst a, a litter of other things. Um, and, uh, you had, you had spoken earlier about, um, I, I use the word orchestration, this revealing of, we think it's chaos. We think it's out of control because we believe the lie that we were in control and we tried to control. Exactly right. Uh, exactly and right. God's like, no. This is all mine. This is not a surprise to me, and I'm orchestrating. And it's been such a privilege to see him orchestrate despite our planning and our our striving to control and build. Whether it worked or not, God showed up and he said, I'm I'm hey, I was never not here. You just didn't mm. you weren't looking at yeah. me. It's been such a, a valuable lesson. And and my, my fear with every spiritual lesson, right, is that I'm going to somehow forget it. Yeah. So that's become part of my prayer life as well. But the other thing that that I learned personally was I was verbalizing yes uh, because I I, I do believe that that God started to grow in me this desire to obey. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that revealing, that exposure, once I actually got in front of the mirror with my eyes Mm -hmm. open was you're saying yes. Mm -hmm. Are you going to actually live yes? Yes. That was a hard, I'm still trying to swallow that. Yes. Um, but it's so, it, can I it's, say, Can I say something about that? Oh, please. please. The, Lord, the Lord spoke to me recently because I was saying yes to him too about some things that were felt very stretching. Right. One night I was putting William down to bed, you know, about 10 months old at the time and uh, just, you know, praying, singing in the spirit, whatever, putting him down. And the Lord said, you know that tension in your heart? I said, yeah. He said, I'm not looking for the strength of your flesh. I'm just looking for the strength of your yes. Mm -hmm. And there's just something about, you know, to your point where we, as we keep saying yes, he'll take care of the rest, you know? And and the key is that trust. What we talked about, do I trust him with everything? And do I trust that his outcome is better than mine? Come on. Right? Because a lot of times what we think, we have these manufactured outcomes that we don't want to really be honest with, that we think our life is going to go this way. Right? We choose A, B, and C. Society tells us this is going to happen. And he's like, could you be the leaf in the river? And it's just going wherever the river takes it. Could you really be that? And that literally takes the trust. Right? To say no. You know, if, 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 you, if, you, if, you, 
you know, I like water, you like the ocean, you like to fish. If you ever float, right? If you ever try to float, if you even think about sinking, this is, I mean, <laughs> go prove it. If you think about sinking, you start sinking. Mm. Why? Because you have to have total abandonment, mm. right? And that's what he's asking, right? In the in this beautiful symphony of relationship, he said, can you be totally abandoned in me and I, and I literally do whatever I want to do with you? You know, there's something you're saying there, Danny, that's so significant. I couldn't have gone through what the Lord brought me through this last year apart from relationships. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that this is so, God's, one of the things he's doing in 2020, I think, is taking down some walls. Yes. Mm-hmm. Even in, yeah. in the church amongst each other. Yeah. You know, and I'm like so delighted to get to meet you today, Chris, because there's just something, I, first of all, I love you. I just, there's some, you're just great. And there's, there's, there's something about these relationships that's so transformative, mm-hmm. you know? And mm-hmm. so I really think that there's, some, there's something about the surrender that also allows ourselves to be known not only by God, but also by each other. And that's a transformative because process in and of itself. we don't have to each other. Exactly. Right? They don't have to be no mask. I don't, we don't have to come in and say, hey, I got to get you to get my attention. So I'm going to tell you how many degrees I have. I'm going to tell you what I know. And it's mm-hmm. not about none of that. It's about, listen, I know you just want him as much as I do. And so the, what, what brings us in communion is him. Yes. Come right? on. And so once you all know who you are in him, then it's a whole bunch of brothers mm. just having brother time. Come on. Right? And there's nothing like being relaxed, having brother time. Mm. Right? And one of the things mm. the Lord told me in 2020 is, because there's eight of us, there's five boys and three girls. He said, how come you treat your brothers different than your brothers? Mm. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, when you're with your biological brothers, mm. there's five of you. You've gone through such a hard life that, this, that the, the, the union that you guys have is that you can let your hair down. But when you with your brethren mm-hmm. in Christ, you can't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's still performance. It's still saying, well... You know, will they love me that way? He yeah. says, but I love you that way. And, 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 that, and that's, mm. that's the foundation is the base of that, how I love you. Mm. And if I love you that way, then they will only see you through my love if they truly are captivated by my love. And you showed me something new, Danny, I'd never seen before. And then, Chris, we'll, stop, we'll let you get something in here. But Acts 2.42, where it says, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayer. I've always seen those four things, the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. What I'd never seen is there was not a comma between apostles' doctrine and fellowship. And Hold Danny hi- highlighted that yesterday. It's the apostles' doctrine and their example of koinonia. And there's something so significant about that because it, doctrine will not transform without fellowship. Come on. Doctrine will not transform without fellowship. It needs outworked, you know, and, and you know, I love First uh, John. Before you, be, I, I, before you go there, before you go to First John, because Acts chapter 2 is very important for us, right? Because the three levels of what's happening in, in, in that, I believe God wants to do with the church. He wants to encounter the church, mm-hmm. which is what happened in Acts chapter 2, where they were piercing their heart with what Peter was saying. Mm-hmm. I'm, in, I'm experiencing God on a level that I've never experienced. These are Jewish men that have never experienced this kind of love of God. Yes. Right? That then brought him to an education arm of who God is, meaning now you're going to have to learn some things about the God that you apostles encounter, doctrine, right? Yeah. So they went to apostles' doctrines and koinonia. Mm-hmm. So those went ahead. I'm going to teach you how to do brethren. Mm, I'm going to teach you how on. to be sisters. I'm going to teach you how to love her. Because once that happened, then the words, that, so they went from encounter to edu- educating themselves to the being empowered. Empowered as what? The word then says, to your point, he just read, 
um, in verse 42, but verse 47 says, and praising God, having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church. They became the ecclesia after the encounter, mm -hmm. then understanding Kononia. Now the ecclesia can walk out ecclesia. Mm -hmm. If it's not in that order, which is the order of Jesus, mm -hmm. encounter first. I'm going to encounter him in my inauguration when I'm getting inaugurated, right? I'm going to encounter with the Father. Then I'm going to go into this garden and say, I'm going to surrender because there's some things I have to learn in my flesh, mm -hmm. right? Then I get the resurrection. Mm -hmm. We can't have resurrection unless Come we on. have identity. We can't have resurrection unless there's a death. Then comes a resurrection life. Come on. We asking Woo. for resurrection life without going through the window of identity, mm -hmm. right? Death, then resurrection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Is that not what you were speaking to earlier about the face-to-face? -face yes. yes. Everyone exactly administered right. and mobilized? Yes, exactly. It's so, it's, it's so practical, but it's so personal that right. we can't make a structure out of it. Say, okay, say that again. It's so practical, but it's so personal that we can't make a structure out of it. And we can't control it. Exactly. We can't make it happen. Man, that's huge. I don't even know how huge it is. I just know it's huge. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, let's take two switches. Uh, we talked a little bit about the five-fold ministry from Ephesians 4, the identities and voices of leadership in the church. Mm -hmm. And then let's make that pragmatic switch to as you are... Uh, discipling and leading and shepherding the people that God has brought under your care, it looks like what? Mm -hmm. right. If someone says, what's my first step? Mm. First step looks like... Yeah. So, yeah. so I'm going to... Let's go to Ephesians 2, 20 real quick because this is not an idea uh, that we come up with. This is not uh, a doctrine. This is not, you know... Uh, a group of <laughs> and, and this is why Danny, you preach out of Psalms eleven three. We're saying if the foundations are destroyed, what can, what the, can righteous the righteous do? do? God still calls us righteous, but He calls us ineffective, yeah. only because yeah. the foundations weren't there. And we ineffective because remember when we read in Matthew to your point, we, we read in Matthew sixteen. He said, "I will build my church." Right. I'm gonna say that again. Mm -hmm. I will build my church. We either let Yeshua build, or we're gonna build. Mm -hmm. One or the other. What's happening a lot of times is that we have built mm -hmm. and Jesus is waiting. So let's look at this real quick. Ephesians 2, 19, 20, 21. It says this. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers. I love I love Paul solidifying our duality. You're no longer strangers and foreigners. You are fellow citizens of the saints, members of the house, meaning you are citizens of the kingdom and your sons. You got duality. Mm -hmm. Now, Paul can talk about duality because he was both dual. He had a Roman citizenship, but mm -hmm. he was a Jew. So he understood it more than anybody. He's saying, listen, you have devil whammy. Mm -hmm. You are king's kids and you are part of his kingdom. Mm -hmm. All of it gives you mm -hmm. identity. Yes. Right? And so this is what he's dealing with. Here. Look what he says. Having been built on. How is then that identity is built on? Built on the, the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. The apostles and the prophets. Now, this is a systematic order, right? Mm. Because 1 Corinthians chapter 12 mm -hmm. says first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. third teachers. And he says, and then if that's in order, and then the work in the miracles. Come on. We're trying to, I believe we don't see miracles because our foundation of understanding how to build the church is off. 
I said, once we get the foundation right, we'll see more miracles because that's what 1 Corinthians 12 tells us. If you get the systematic order, miracles will flow. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times we're looking for miracles without systematic order. Now, this is what it says. In whom the whole building is being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God. Why is all of this is for? So that God can dwell with man. So what he says in Revelation mm-hmm. 21 I am the God that dwells with men. I don't do nothing outside of my fellowship with my children, and I want to do it. He says, but this is the way I've done it. So what we have built in Christianity since Constantine is we have built on a pastor and not on the apostles and prophets. Mm-hmm. I didn't write that down, right? Now, this is, what, this is totally true. You can look it up. The word pastor is only mentioned one time in the whole New Testament. Eight times in the whole Bible. That word pastor, and it's it's not even a singular word. It's a plural word, pastors. And we're going to see that right now in Ephesians. Mm-hmm. Let's look at Ephesians. Ephesians 4, verse 11, it says, And he himself, Jesus, gave some to be apostles. Remember, systematic order. Apostles, prophets, and, and I want to say this. Apostles can be apostles without a prophet. A prophet can be a prophet without an apostle. They need each other. Mm. Jesus, when he sends them out, he sends them out always two by two. Mm-hmm. Jesus himself, when he sent them out, he said, I'm going to send you out two by two. He always sends out two by two. What the enemy has done to us, he built a structure of building on one man. Mm-hmm. And so we have the idolatry of wanting a man, wanting a superstar. No one knows a superstar and idol like this country. More than any other country, we we love idols. We love to, to look at a man to get us to God. And God's like, no, there is no man to get you to me. Mm-hmm. I, I built a structure, but it's not a one single man. And so here he's saying, I give what? Some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. Now, he still has pastors. Now, the practical version of a pastor is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You can go look at it yourself. Where the apostles and prophets were doing what they do, which is what? Hear heaven and be in the word. And people around Acts, six. Acts, Acts chapter six. six, thank yeah. you. And people around them will get in trouble by it. Like, why are you not serving tables? He said, it's not for us to serve tables. That's offensive to today's group of people. Mm-hmm. You mean your job is not to serve me? No. That's actually called the Nicolaitans. That's for another day, another time. <laughs> where we, we hip up a man to, to, to do what the people want him to do. He said, no, no, no. He said, get Stephen and some other men that will have pastoral care over you while we're doing what? Because when you let a shepherd that makes it about the people lead, it is always going to be about the people. What apostles and prophets do, they make it about heaven. Mm-hmm. Not that the pastor doesn't. The pastor's is legit need is to meet the needs of the people. Mm-hmm. Apostles and prophets is to hear what heaven's saying and go and take the church in the direction heaven's going. And one of the things I'd add to that, Danny, um, you do such a good job teaching that, is that it says that Jesus um, distributed these gifts, Right. And so Jesus was all of the fivefold ministry perfectly. You look mm-hmm. at the Sermon on the Mount, it's like the best teacher that's ever lived. Exactly right. right? right. You look at all the prophetic words and, you know, um, he saw Philip underneath the tree. Was it Philip he saw underneath the yep. tree? Yep. yep. Saw Philip underneath the tree, right? Prophet. Okay. You look at saying, here's how the church is going to be built. 
blueprints, apostle, apostle yeah. right? Evangelist, where he's crying out, you know, and people are coming to him in droves, you know, coming to experience the kingdom, evangelist. Pastorally, I would want no one to have pastored me more than Jesus if I was Peter, who had just denied Christ exactly. as a leader in the body of Christ, denied Christ three times. And then Jesus reinstates him pastorally in this beautiful way that asks him the hard questions and finally gets him to the point of honesty with Christ so he could be reinstated. So Jesus was all of these. But because Jesus has a, has a priority for interdependence within the body of, of, of Christ, right? Not codependence, but interdependence. He's saying, I'm gonna distribute these gifts to men. And I'm gonna distribute them so that, like Danny's saying, an apostle can't function without a prophet. But if you have an apostle and prophet lead a local body without a pastoral grace in that body. Mm, mm. What you can have, you'd be very heavenly, you can know the next thing of God, you can know the blueprints of God, etc. but marriages might not be you know, going from glory to glory because no one's in the messiness of that, talking with people and helping them work through the relational difficulties. You can also have teachings that are super anointed and all of these sorts of things, but people haven't been grounded out in the basics that allow those teachings to be platformed on top of a solid foundation. And of course, that's what a teacher might do. And so, so all of these, all of the fivefold graces have to work together. They all have a strength and they all have blind spots. And so, you know, typically then what we end up with is judgment because we think our strength is the greatest strength. And so you've got prophets who might disdain teachers who, you know, you have 14th week on the book of John. Come on, like, what's the Lord saying? You know, and, and teachers who might disdain prophets and saying, like, could you please ground something out in the word? You know, and actually, well, how about we both work together you do what you're best at and you'll start to receive my grace. I'll do what I'm best at and I'll also start to receive your grace. So the more I partner in our local church family with fivefold ministers that God's given us over about 10 years in our local, we didn't go looking for them, mm -hmm. but over about 10 years, different people have, have, God's identified different people's like, oh, he's a pastor. So now in partnership with him, one, our church receives pastoral grace through him. But secondly, I'm growing pastorally mm -hmm. because of him in my relationship with him. Mm -hmm. And so this fully furnishing and equipping of the saints, uh, verse 12 happens, until we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine. And, but instead speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. So when the Christ distributes to the fivefold, the fivefold distributes the grace of Christ to the body of Christ, the body of Christ is equipped and now the body of Christ looks like Christ. That's the, the full circle. The aim is maturity. Exactly. Right? It, it says in verse 13, till we all come to the unity of faith, to the knowledge of the Son of, of, of God, to a perfect man, measure and stature of fullness. That word perfect is not the word translated uh, apart from doing anything wrong. It's fully mature, fully grown. Yes. Right? So that is the aim. The aim of the believer is to be fully grown, fully mature. Uh, not to just to be, it's fully grown. And, and that process of the fivefold ministry allows then for the healthiness of the body of Christ. So mm. I, I would say this, we haven't been as healthy as he wanted us to. Mm. Yep. Yep. Right? Mm -hmm. Because we're built on the wrong foundation. So what he's asking, can you go return to the foundation, right? And begin to start building so that what? So that I can get maturity, right? Mm. So Romans 8 says that the earth is travailing for the sons of God. We read that and we think that's just anybody. No, that word is heroes in Greek means, means the mature sons of God. So not everyone is asking because all of us, see, we have to be in, in this setting. It allows for children to be children. Mm. It allows adolescents and teenagers to be teenagers. And it allows adults to be. We don't do that good in Christianity, right? This is what we do. All oh, that person saved, man, he's going to get everything. He's going to know everything by tomorrow. And we don't understand. It takes time and relationship in your walk with God to go from a child 
right? Mm. There, there are avenues just like, and that's why it's good to understand Judaism because it's our faith that we come from and Jesus is too fully a Jew, mm. right? Because in Judaism, they understand a child, we now need to form him so that they can become bar misford at 12, right? And then at 30, which Jesus was inaugurated, they get inaugurated and at 30 in the Jewish family, you can't receive a access to the company until you're 30 years old. Wow. Right? Because mm. now you're fully mature to handle everything. And so this is what we're doing. We handing kids. Remember how I talked about uh, the keys of heaven? I can't hand a child the key. Why? He'll crash the car. Mm. Why? Because it takes some schooling. It takes some maturity to handle the cars. And so mm. we're asking for these keys. And God's like, no, just get matured. Just be in a proper family that allows you to be a child. What does a teenager do? A teenager, we all have... You haven't had a teenager. I have a teenager. They And we were teenagers. They think they know it all, mm-hmm. right? And they're going to make a lot of mistakes. We don't allow in our in our arenas Christians to make mistakes and walk and walk their salvation out because we don't have the proper foundation mm-hmm. that allows people to journey with the Lord, journey from that child, journey mm-hmm. to become that teenager, and then journey to become that adult. Mm-hmm. The fivefold ministry allows that to happen. And there is no judging one another. You're mm-hmm. not judging that walk. Oh, like, I can't believe they walked into that club. Well, that's right now that they take kids. They don't know any better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, what does a kid do? They spill stuff. They run around. They break stuff. That's what kids do. Someone that just accepted Christ, we are asking him to be the mature. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be the mature. He's not going to know any difference. And so this is what we're asking. Then learn to be mature by a monologue and learn to be mature by someone preaching at them. And mm-hmm. you just can't do it, right? And so that what that allows you to do is create an atmosphere where in Judaism they call it midrash. And you bring people together and together they work out the scriptures and together they mm-hmm. grow. And there's no hierarchy. We all kings and priests. Mm-hmm. And if we don't understand that, we all are kings and priests. He said he's the king of kings and lord of lords. Who the lords? Who the kings? We are, right? In God's kingdom, he's the only kingdom that doesn't have peasants. Mm-hmm. Usually on. in a natural kingdom, you need some people to rule. He says, no, I only rule territories. I don't rule people. Mm-hmm. Come on. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say that again. He rules a territory, not people. And so in the kingdom, he elevates. Right? He says, no, you're a king. Well, how does that work? You're a king. You're a king. You're a king. You're a king. You're a queen. You're a queen. You're a queen. He elevates kings and queens. Right? And now we have all... As family get to enjoy one another, right? Mm. And so we have to, you asked me earlier about that Bible study, what we were doing. We do a Zoom Bible study because we're not able to meet in person. In that Bible study, we do it as a midrash where everyone is allowed to express their voice in God, mm-hmm. right? Because they're the sons of God and they're allowed to express. And if someone doesn't know something, it's not like you should know this. No. We all need to learn, and we learn from one another, right? Mm-hmm. And so the expression of Peter expressing a scripture to me, I can learn as much because I need Peter. Because in this, look at what it says. Let's read this, and, and, and then we'll, we'll kind of quit on this. Verse 16, it says this. Uh, oh, let's go to verse 14 because you said this. that We should no longer be children tossed to and fro in every one of doctrine with the trickery of men and cunning craftiness and deceitfulness. What happened is people are being controlled by Different doctrines of men. Why? Because they're not in the right atmosphere, right? But this is heading somewhere, right? But speaking to the truth, speaking the truth in love, may grow that we may grow up in all things into Him who is the head. 
from whom the whole body is joined knit together by every joint supplieth according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes that causes the growth of the body for the edifying itself in love. That's beautiful. Um, we can't land this plane, so we'll just leave it in the air. <laughs> but we do have to end this episode. But real quick, as quick as you can make it, someone comes to you, they're like, I'm in. Where do I start? What do you say? I don't know. It's a bit of a loaded question. It's a loaded question. Well, I think I'll, an I'll answer it um, uh, two, two ways. It depends who, who they are. Of course. I think that the Lord is, is, is doing some reframing uh, of the church family. And those that the Lord's speaking to that are in leadership in the body of Christ about that, I think, you know, engaging with the Lord and engaging with others that are also seeing that reframing happen is, is incredibly important to the body of Christ moving forward in the way that God wants to, to do it. It's been said for a couple decades that we would be moving from the, what's called the church age or being described as the church age to the kingdom age. Mm. And that transition uh, has been happening for quite some time, but in my opinion, it's, it's here. And uh, so many, many, I think, church leaders are gonna feel a tug and a call in this season. And 2020 surely expedited this for probably many of us, where we feel like, what, what then do I do? And if any of this sort of connects with people, I think that, that getting with other like-minded leaders that are hearing from the Lord and, and hashing these things out together would be my recommendation. And maybe I'll let Danny speak to the other side, the personal I, side. Well, I think, yeah, the personal side would be, I, 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 I'm a best man in a wedding. I introduce the bride and the groom and get out the way. Mm. And I think a lot of times the introduction of what, Woo. we have to reintroduce Christ to the world. Mm. Right? Religion had given a description and a depiction of our father that has nothing to do with who he is. Mm. Right? So I think no matter who I'm talking about, we leader or not leader, I think everyone needs an encounter with the real father. Right? So good. And so I'll leave it at that. That's awesome. Um, thanks for being with us. Uh, I know you've got thoughts. I know you've got questions. Please share those with us. Uh, and uh, we'll do our best to try and answer whatever you throw at us. But thanks again for being with us, and we'll see you the next time. Thanks, Chris.